Welcome to an Impact Ministries production brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey guys, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this week's Cyber Church. Man, alive I am. So, you know, I'm so excited about this message. I am telling you, you know, we just had Easter, and uh, Easter is a time that always gets me excited. It always gets me jacked up. It's one of these times I start reminding myself. Well, actually, I do this all the time, if you'll know the truth. I'm always reminding myself of what Jesus did for me through the death, burial, and resurrection. I think about it every time I pray. I think about it every time I use my authority. I think about it every time I look at the future. I'm telling you, because everything that is ours in the kingdom of God is only ours because of the finished work of Jesus, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the, the receiving of the inheritance as he is seated by the right hand of God. Now, I just, I'm, I'm going to tell you this straight off, you know, off the top. I probably am going to be incredibly direct about this issue of what we believe and preach and teach about the resurrection. And remember, in this series, Ancient Mysteries, I am talking very much uh, not about the resurrection in general and what that gives us in general, but I am talking about the key that uh, the resurrection gives us uh, when it comes to the ancient mysteries. And the ancient mysteries include the mystery of iniquity that works in planet Earth and the fact that we don't understand that and the fact that we don't uh, really equip our congregations to understand it and work against it is why our country is where it is. It's why our lives are wrecks. It's why people are believers, you know, for decades and they can never get their faith to work. And so I'm, I'm going to be pretty pretty over the top with some of this stuff. And so if I am, just cut me some slack, be merciful, but more than anything else, just try to get the message. Now, like I say, this month we celebrated Resurrection Sunday. And, you know, a, an amazing thing is this. Uh, our, the church today is much like the government. It is amazing at the millions, actually billions of dollars, that our government spends on programs that actually will never bring any benefit whatsoever to our people. Uh, and, and we ignore the things that people really need to have a life. Now, when it's like that in the government, it's a little bit different in church, but in the government, it's because they don't want us to be whole. They don't want us to be stable. They don't want us to truly understand what's going on, how they're spending our, our money, how they're diverting our attention to things that mean absolutely nothing. But sadly, it seems that so much of the church, now there's great churches, there are great pastors. I'm telling you, I know some people that are way better pastors than I ever was. And they're building their people up. They help their people. They're a blessing. They're a strength to their people. But it still amazes me at how many churches put so much effort and so much focus on two things that will never, ever, ever make a difference in the life of the congregation, the life of the people. It'll never really uh, help them have the victories that were purchased 
uh, for us, by the very expensive. You know, salvation is free, but it ain't cheap. Jesus had to give his life. He had to suffer all the consequences of sin that we would have had to suffer. So it ain't cheap. So anyhow, it's amazing what is left out of the gospel. It's amazing what is never preached. I, now, this sounds so critical. I, I don't mean for it to be critical because I know that we can use events like Easter and the way people tend to celebrate those events, and we can turn those into ways to get the gospel to people. You know, as a pastor, I always did those things. But, you know, when you have an Easter egg hunt, and you have bunny rabbits, and you have all of those kinds of things, but you don't take that as a chance to introduce people to what really happened at the cross. And when you don't, when you don't use that as an opportunity to present the truth, then in fact you are just turning Easter, the most, I mean, the most holy uh, a thing that has ever happened. In all of the universe is the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we take this most holy thing and really we water it down and we make it more about Ishtar, the, God, the fertility goddess. We make it more about paganism. And even worse, we present it in ways that make children just believe it is another myth that means absolutely nothing. Now, my question is this. Anywhere this month, and I hope you did. I know there's some places where you did, but did you hear a message about your victory over Satan, sin, death, and hell? Did you hear what was accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Did, do you understand more now about what happened through his death and then through, through what happened in the grave and then through what happened in his resurrection and then what happened by him being seated at the right hand of God and receiving an inheritance which he shares with you. Well, of course you didn't hear that. Now, some of you are fortunate enough that you're in good churches where you hear those kinds of things uh, 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 during holidays, you know, at Christmas and, and Easter and this sort of thing. Now, one of the things that I've learned in life was uh, in business, there is what we used to call critical factors. Really, there are critical factors in business and in, in, uh, uh, relationships and in, in so many areas of life. Now, the critical factors are those factors, those elements uh, that if you get those critical factors right, everything else is probably going to work out even if you make a lot of mistakes. Now, in business, you know, uh, and I don't do much consulting anymore. I haven't for years because I just don't have time. But, uh, but I used to do a lot of consulting for churches and for businesses and this sort of thing. One of the things I would very often do is I'd go and do an analysis and I would determine if, in fact, that business or that ministry was uh, understanding the critical factors. In other words, what are the five or six or seven or eight things, or maybe even 10 things, that if you get these right, everything is going to work out for you, for your ministry, for your business, for the people you serve, and you know, for your customers or, or whatever. And it always amazed me how many times people didn't know what the critical factors were, or if they knew the critical factors, uh, they didn't understand the importance of continually reteaching those things and reinforcing those things so that people would remain stable and wouldn't be on and off and up and down. You know, in, in our local congregation, when I pastored a local congregation, 
every single year we took our people through a cycle and it was a it really it was a discipleship uh, cycle based on what Jesus did through his death burial and resurrection and then about how they could actually step into serving and benefiting other people and they could start making the journey of being a disciple now the interesting thing was we did the exact program every year and you know if we modified it there was no great modifications in it so basically almost anybody could teach this now the amazing thing was as a result of doing this we would have uh, I think the lowest number of people serving and working with us to reach our community and help people was about 40%. But at most of the time, we stayed at about 60% of our congregation serving. And they served because they continually heard the core factors. They continually uh, uh, came to recognize what was incredibly, incredibly important. You know, uh, and uh, Ultimate Impact, you might want to check it out. I'm going to be starting a new uh, uh, life transformation workshop, and it'll be several weeks long, and we're going to be talking about heaven on earth. But one of the things that's going to happen in this thing is we're going to talk about the core factors of kingdom living and how that if you really get on track with a few of these things and you stay connected to God, you pretty much can't fail. Your life will work. You'll have peace. You'll have joy. You'll have purpose. You'll have all of these things that most people absolutely never have. Now, Israel was given a procedure or a cycle, if you will, that was based primarily on the feast. Every one of the feasts, and I'm not going to go into them today because I've gone into them so many times, and we'll be talking about them at other times, but every one of the feasts were designed to anchor us to a very specific part of our journey with God. And so every single year, the children of Israel observe those same feasts. Now, unfortunately, they turned them into ritualistic observations. Faith wasn't mixed in the people who heard it or in the people who, who practiced it. And so over time, it just became another dead, empty, religious observation. Now, re remember, anything that is not mixed with faith, any truth that is not mixed with faith, the Bible says, it does not benefit the hearers. It doesn't do anything for them. They may get some information, but it doesn't transform or empower their lives. And so, and so, the, the truth is, Israel ended up going off into idolatry because these things that should have anchored them to very specific aspects of, of kingdom living uh, either became ignored or they became so ritualistic that they meant nothing. And so, and so that's kind of happened to the church. You know, uh, most pastors are struggling to come up with new creative messages. And that's great. And that's good. Uh, but those new creative messages all need to be based on, uh, on what we're supposed to be establishing our heart in in the kingdom of God. Now, one of the things, and, and you know, I talk a lot about the pillars of faith, and you know, the first pillar of faith is how God created planet Earth. Second pillar of faith is how God created mankind. The third pillar of faith may well need to be 
the introduction of evil into the world, how it got here, how it started, how it came about. And I got news for you. We got such crazy ideas about the devil. I mean, it just makes me want to set my head on fire and scream, run down the road screaming. Most people are afraid of the devil. Most people don't realize that the devil has been totally defeated. They don't realize they have victory over the devil. And when they try to exercise victory over the devil, it turns into some goofy religious um, uh, ceremony that really doesn't do much of anything. Now, last week in part one of the imaginary battle, we talked about the five failed rebellions. And this is so very important to understand this. See, Satan has tried to launch five global uh, rebellions, and his, his first rebellion was to overthrow God. Everything that he has done since then has been to overthrow man because he lost the battle with God. He was cast out of heaven, and actually all of his angels were bound up in, in the depths of the earth, and they will stay there until judgment day. And so, so he realized he'd lost this battle. So his only hope then was to corrupt man, to undermine the faith and the confidence that man had in his creator. And once he did that, he could seduce men into, into turn into sin as a way to gratify and fulfill their desires. Well, God will fulfill your desires. He just might not do it the way that you think it ought to be done. It won't be corrupt. It won't kill you. It won't, it won't ruin your life, destroy your relationships. So real quick, let me just run over the, the five failed uh, uh, rebellions. And, and, and I tell you what, if people knew this, if believers knew this, they would realize Satan is no one to fear whatsoever. So there, first, there was Lucifer's rebellion in heaven, and all the participants in that rebellion were cast out of heaven and, and they were sealed in chains of darkness, according to the scripture. The second great rebellion was aimed at mankind. And so Lucifer thought if he could get man to, to rebel against God, that God himself would destroy man. Uh, but instead, he, he discovered that God is a God of forgiveness and mercy. And even though man introduced sin and death into the world and brought all the pain and suffering that exists, God was still merciful. And that's why the Bible tells us that what God is doing in us is actually uh, teaching the, the angels, the heavenly beings. They are learning about an aspect of God that they don't have the capacity to know. But we do because we were created in the likeness and the image of God. And we are the only beings in all of creation that have the capacity to have a loving relationship with God. We are the only ones that I'm telling you, all the angelic beings are observing this, learning about God. But Lucifer was jealous when he recognized the intimate closeness that man had with God. And then the next big rebellion was the watchers. And I'm not going to go into detail. You can go back and look at last week's video. And of course, the watchers were a specific class of angelic beings that crossed over. And the Bible says they began having sex with women and they produce an offspring, a demonic offspring called the Nephilim. And the Nephilim, you know, Jesus, the Spirit of God moved on Mary and Mary conceived and Jesus came forth. And so Jesus, 
His spirit man came from God. His spirit man was holy. His spirit man was perfectly righteous. But his body and every aspect of lust or desire or anything was exactly like ours because his body, his physical being, came from Mary. And so this is what happened with the watchers. Now, the problem was, uh, so, so when the watchers and the women had offspring, those offspring were called uh, Nephilim. That was one of the many, many Hebrew names that were given to them. And actually, the Nephilim are recorded through all the ancient civilizations. Even, even the North American natives, they know about the Nephilim. They fought the Nephilim, and, and I talked about that in the other message. Now, when the Nephilim died, uh, the spirit that was, that was sustaining the body, the being, uh, it had nowhere to go because remember, it was not born in heaven, so it couldn't go back to heaven. It was it was born of in planet Earth, therefore it could not leave planet Earth. And so, you know, many people think that when Satan rebelled the first time, that God flung all these uh, 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 fallen angels to planet Earth, and if, and if they became demons, and and a lot of people said, well, if God's a loving God, why did He send them here? He didn't send them here. He bound them so that they could not be here to afflict mankind. But these demons that came forth from the Nephilim, they were here to afflict mankind as well as the Nephilim. They were just demonic beings that were here to destroy the human race. Now, knowing that Satan all of his rebellious efforts to overthrow God, overthrow the human race, have absolutely failed. If we knew that, then everything that we have, almost everything we've ever been taught about spiritual warfare, we would throw it away, we would throw those books away, and we would stop listening to those preachers that preach that nonsense because Satan, is he is not like a master race. He is not like a master being. He has no authority. He has no power. And everything that he has done has failed. And if we knew that, we would not be looking ahead at the coming tribulation, scared to death and afraid of the Antichrist because the Antichrist is going to be the last global effort to overthrow the world, and it will fail because you and I, believers, will be, will, will be caught up with the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be a part of the army of God that overthrows the Antichrist and his armies. I'm telling you, people who know that are not afraid because we know that we are already we are already the the winners now i want to show you something and man i'm going to scoot across this for time and i'll open up parts of it later but in colossians the second chapter colossians is an interesting book in the bible colossians part of the reasons colossians was written was because those believers there were being taught that if you committed sin, you opened the door to the devil and he had authority and he had the right to come in and attack you. Well, that is absolute heresy. And the book of Colossians was written to some degree to address that heresy. And that's why at the very beginning of the book of Colossians, it starts emphasizing how that Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of the body of Christ. And that he is the supreme ruler over all principalities and powers. There is not a principality or power that has authority that can, uh, that can actually resist him. 
as believers here on planet Earth, if we believe that, we will use that authority and never, never, never fear the devil. But I want, I want to read this to you. At the resurrection of Jesus, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And it says, And you, being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now, that's talking about the heart. The uncircumcised heart is a heart that doesn't hear God, doesn't recognize God, is insensitive to God. And the Bible, you know, talks some about that. And that, that's the type of which circumcised was pointing to. It wasn't, it wasn't just pointing to what you did to your penis. It was pointing to what you did with your heart. And it says, He has made us alive together with Him, having forgiven you, you all trespasses. So everything we've ever done has been forgiven. In truth, everything we will ever do has already been forgiven. And, and we have been made alive with the resurrected Jesus. And that's very important. We're not talking about Jesus as he was walking the earth with a human body. What we are as being one with him is we are one with the resurrected Lord Jesus. Verse 14 says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Well, so I want you to understand, you know, the Bible or, or, or religion says that Jesus nailed our sins to the cross. Uh, I'm not saying that that doesn't apply in a certain sense, but what it really says is what he nailed to the cross was any interpretation of the law and the commandments that was used against us, that was used to condemn us. You got to realize by the time Jesus came, the, the Jews, they were using the Talmud and other books to supersede the Bible because they were using those books to interpret understand and come up with application for the Bible and and all of those all of those works were very legalistically established and so so everything related to the law and the commandments that that we interpreted as being against us was nailed to the cross now if this if this was nailed to the cross then the slander you know the the, the condemner the liar the one that inspires all gossip the one that inspires all, all condemnation and self-doubt, every tool that he has to use in the Bible or in the extra biblical you know, material written by religious people, it has been nailed to the cross. Every sin has been paid for and we have been raised up in righteousness. And then in verse 15, it's so interesting I don't know how people leave this out. I don't understand how people don't see this. It says, having disarmed principalities and powers. Well, principalities and powers, who do you think that's talking about? That's talking about every spiritual or natural being that exists outside, outside of God, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these powers have been disarmed. And in fact, that word there means something more like stripped. In other words, they have been completely neutralized. Uh, there is no, no being, no matter how, if he's an angelic being, a fallen angel, they, they don't have authority over you. They've never had authority over you. They have no power to hurt you unless you believe their lies more than you believe the truth about the resurrection of Jesus. Now listen to this. It says, He made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them in it. Now this is, in the Greek, this is what's called the triumphal procession. 
And I may go into this more later. I go into this in a lot of places. I go into all of this stuff in three days that changed the world where we talk about everything that happened on the cross, in the grave, in the resurrection, and at the right hand of God, which I think, I, I don't, you don't even know the gospel. You don't even understand the gospel if you don't know what happened after Jesus left planet Earth or after he was crucified. What happened on the cross? What happened in the grave? What how did he get raised up? What did he have to do? All of those kinds of things. The Bible's very clear about those things because they're crucially important to our faith and how we live in victory. But this phrase here in the Greek is called a triumphal procession. Now, a victory march or victory celebration would be when a king would go out and win a major battle and he would come back and, man, his citizens would rejoice and celebrate. But a triumphal procession only occurred when the opposing enemy, number one, had been conquered and maybe even killed. When all of his generals, every, 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 every source that was lending him power and strength and supporting him had been captured and or killed. That is a triumphal procession. And what they would do is they would take that king. Sometimes they would burn his eyes out. They'd cut off his thumbs and his big toes. He couldn't hold a sword. He couldn't even stand up. And they would tie him sometimes. I mean, they do it a lot of different ways. But sometimes they would tie a chain or a rope around his neck, tie the other end of it to the saddle of the, of the winning king and drag him through the streets, let the people spit on him and throw trash at him because they wanted the people to see there is never anything to, to worry about. You don't ever even have to fight this guy again. He's never coming against you. Well, the problem is in this imaginary battle is that in 1 Corinthians 9, you know, Paul talks about about how that we fight an imaginary battle with an imaginary enemy. Now, Lucifer, Satan, the demons, they are our enemies, but the way we go about fighting them has nothing to do with the finished work of Jesus. Therefore, it is an imaginary battle. Now, by the way, don't forget, I've, you can get your series uh, right now, and, and, and you, you want to listen to all of these videos that are free, and then if you purchase a series to go deeper, all of this combined is going to give you all the information that you need. But Paul says something really, really important here. And again, we're going to visit this in the very future. And he talks about, you know, he compares himself to somebody who's running a race who intends to win. Uh, you know, somebody who is, who is competing uh, in, in a combat or battle or a wrestling match and wants to win. But he says this really interestingly. Uh, that in verse 26, he says, therefore, I run thus. And here's the way I do it. I don't run with uncertainty. In other words, I am completely clear about who I'm fighting, what the battle is, how that fight goes, because it's a fight of faith about believing something. It's not a battle you're trying to win. If you're trying to win the battle, you can't win it because only Jesus can win that battle. And you have to accept his victory or you have to uh, admit that you're in an imaginary battle. So he goes on, he says, so I don't fight as one who beats the air. Now, just real quickly, I want to say this. Beating the air, this is like a person who is a shadow boxer. This is a person who is fighting an imaginary opponent. There's really not an opponent there. There's really not a fight going on. But this person creates in his imagination an enemy that he is fighting. Well, i got news for you. The Bible says when it talks about Satan or Lucifer, 
whichever one you prefer. When it talks about him, it says that he's going to be cast down to the pit. And he says the time's going to come when we're going to look into that pit. We're going to say, what? This is the one I was afraid of. This is the one who, you know, who, who, uh, terrified all the nations of the world well i got news for you you don't have to wait until then to see him as he is once you look at what jesus did and the triumphal procession that he created then you realize that he is a defeated foe and you never have to be afraid of him again stop stop creating an imagination of this all-powerful devil that's able to do all of these phenomenal magical powerful you know mysterious spiritual things because i got news for you that being does not exist listen be sure and share this with your friends be sure and share this with people that are fighting battles be sure and join me next week because we're going to take another step in this and be sure and download your series right now Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.